Well, good morning. It is really good to be with you. Uh, last Sunday, I was with uh, a large group of, of our church members and also uh, people from other churches and kind of all over the U.S. Um, we were worshiping in Tomaso, Haiti. Uh, I had three little kids whose name I can't pronounce who were fighting to see who got to sit on my lap. And I don't have a big lap. There's not a lot of real estate. And so they were kind of wrestling with each other, and some of them had walked two and three hours to be there. Uh, No air conditioning, like 300% humidity. Uh, And the Spirit of God was moving in that place, uh, in the way that God moves uh, in this place as well. And I'm thankful for all of you who prayed for us. I, I can... Uh, bear testimony uh, to the fact that Jesus is present in Haiti, um, hard at work through countless people. Uh, And so thank you for your prayers and your support. We're going to be continuing uh, this morning with our open series, which is just our way of focusing our hearts on, on different spiritual practices that we can be involved in that help us to create space in our life for God to work. And this morning, we're, we're looking at the practice of enduring. And that's probably not, when you think about listing off spiritual practices, that's probably not one that first comes to mind. It's certainly not a spiritual practice most of us would want to choose. But I have found in my own life and in the life of people I care about, that at some time or another, you and I are going to have to figure out what it means to endure. If you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 5, You're starting in verse 1. And by the way, if you haven't, uh, pass down these note cards down your pew to help people take notes and follow along. Please take some time to do that. We hope that they're <clears throat> able to bless you. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us, In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've been praying a lot about this sermon. I pray often, daily, about what I'm going to share every single week. But but this sermon, to me, is, is one that for all of us, I think, is is going to be close to our hearts and close to our convictions and our faith. And I may or may not say some things in the next 20 minutes or so that that you have heard before or that you agree with. And all I'm asking you this morning is, 
Just give me a chance. Hear me out. Remember, this is not a Bible class. This is, this is a place where I'm going to have to do virtually all of the talking. But I, I want you to consider what it means to be people of faith who encounter pain and what to do with that, how to respond to that. And I know that this is going to bring up pain-filled memories for you. It may bring up pain-filled moments for you that you're trying to get away from while you come to church on Sunday mornings. And so I'm just asking for mercy and grace as you listen. And my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit will say to each one of us, to, to each one of you, what you most need to hear. It hurts so good is a strange phrase. And it's one you don't often hear unless you happen to be listening to John Cougar Mellencamp on the radio. Or you're in a gym or something where people are working hard and, and it, the, the, their muscles are aching and they're tired, but, but they, they're doing it for a very specific reason, right? They believe that even though it hurts right now, that hurt is, is producing something good. That because they're exercising, later they're going to feel stronger and they're going to be healthier. And knowing that changes the way it hurts. Paul is talking about something close to that spiritually when he says... You and I are able to glory in our suffering. Now, he doesn't say we have to glory in our suffering. He doesn't say that it's simple or easy to glory in our suffering. He is saying that we are able to glory in our suffering. Because suffering can produce perseverance. And perseverance can produce character. And character can produce hope. So if you, if you cut out all of, the, all of the details, you get down to the fact that what Paul's trying to say is we can glory in suffering because suffering has the potential in the life of people of faith to help us hope better, to have stronger hope, to have holy hope. And that is actually really good news. It, it may not be news that we want to focus on, but it's really good news because... Pain is in our future. It's not a question of, of if, it's, it's a matter of when. Right? Pain is in our future. It may be as simple as stubbing your toe. It may be as complex as having to undergo the treatment for a disease that's trying to kill you and everything else in between. It's not a matter of if you're going to suffer or if you're going to hurt. It's, it's a matter of when. And then the real question becomes, so when pain comes crashing into your life, how are you going to interact with that pain? How are you going to engage that pain? What are you going to do with that pain? Christian author Barbara Brown Taylor, in exploring this, helps us understand that there's an important difference between pain and suffering, even though often we tend to use those words together and to say the same thing. She says that when we confuse those two terms, we make a mistake. And, and she says there is a difference between pain and suffering. Pain happens in the flesh. 
Suffering happens in the mind. The mind decides whether pain is deserved. The mind notices who comes to visit and who doesn't. The mind remembers how good things used to be and are not likely to be again. The mind makes judgments, measures loss, takes blame, and assigns guilt. Now, what Taylor, I think, is trying to help us understand is while pain is what happens to us, suffering is what happens inside of us when we're hurting. Suffering is how we, we think about our pain and deal with it. And most of us suffer in ways, as people of faith, most of us suffer in ways that cause us to feel anger or frustration towards God. When something bad comes crashing into your life, when pain feels like it attacks you, if you're a person of faith, at some time or another, you're going to ask, why? Why? Why is this happening, God? Why are you letting this happen? Why aren't you stopping it? Why? These kinds of questions are as old as humankind and the faith that humankind has. That's how long we've been wrestling with this why question, this existential angst about the fact that our life is not going exactly the way we want it to. That in fact, maybe our life is falling apart. Maybe our world is falling apart. And on this 15th anniversary of September 11th, we know that truth. Collectively and individually, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And if God is, is in direct control of every single thing that's happening in our world and in our lives, then as people of faith, we come to the decision that that means God has an awful lot to answer for. C.S. Lewis once summarized it this way, If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were all-powerful, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. This is the problem of pain in its simplest form. Now, C.S. Lewis is not saying he believes this. He's saying this is what we're wrestling with as people of faith when pain comes crashing into our lives. Either God isn't as good as we hope or God isn't as powerful as we hope. And then we start to get even more afraid and more anxious Because it's not just pain we're dealing with at that point. It's the crumbling of our faith and our trust. The Old Testament book of Job is entirely focused on what it looks like to wrestle with this problem of pain. You may or may not have read Job before, but real quickly, Job is a good man. Job is a righteous man. Job is the most morally impressive follower of God on the face of the earth. And Satan decides that the only reason Job... Is, is faithful to God. The only reason Job follows God, trusts God, is because God has blessed Job with every good thing. Job never has a bad day. He doesn't have to deal with things happening that, that he doesn't know what to deal with, right? And Satan says, well, of course he loves you, God. You give him every good thing. And then God says, no, I, Job would trust me and love me even if all those things were taken Now, here's the problem. You can't know that theoretically. You have to know that for real. And the only way to know that for real is for Job to go through that. So God creates distance. He steps back some and says to Satan, do what you want, just don't take his life. And so Satan dismantles all the goodness in Job's life except 
for the gift of life itself. His health, his wealth, his children, his wife, all of it is stripped away. And, and everybody starts to hear what's going on in Job's life, all the pain that he's enduring, and three friends come to visit him. Well-intentioned friends. Church-going friends. And they decide that Job doesn't just need them to be present. Job needs an explanation for why he's going through all of his pain. And they believe that every single thing that happens to any person is a direct action of God. And so they've got to make sense, right? Is God all-powerful? Is, is God good? Then if something bad is happening, then it is a direct punishment for something you or I have done. And so they tell Job, while his life is falling apart, you may, you may have forgotten it, Job, but you've obviously messed up. You've done something so wrong that this is the punishment. This is why God is treating you this way. That is not a helpful thing to say to somebody whose life is falling apart. What did you do to deserve God treating you this way? Now, if you read the book of Job, you already know that's not the case. God is not directly the cause of the evil, the pain that, that Job's going through. God is allowing it to happen, and that's frustrating too, because even though God's not the one doing it, God's allowing Satan to do it, and we look at that and think, that doesn't make any sense. Stop it. Protect Job. Don't allow him to go through this. And so Job is wrestling with all this, and Job believes, he knows, he hasn't done anything to deserve this kind of treatment, and he's frustrated with why God is allowing this to happen. Why? He keeps yelling at heaven, why? Why are you allowing this to, to go on in my life? What have I done? Have I done something? Have I forgot something? Over and over and over again, Job prays this heartbroken prayer. And instead of telling Job why, God tells Job, I'm here. I'm with you. I always have been and I always will be. Stop trying to make sense of why all this happened and trust me. Now that's hardly the answer Job was looking for. And if we're honest, I don't really think it's the answer that you and I are wanting when we're hurting either. But it is an answer. And it is the answer that God seems to believe that we need more than any other. I'm here. I'm with you. I always have been. I always will be. Stop trying to make sense of why all this happened and trust me. Sooner or later, you and I have to realize that whether we want it to be this way or not, the God we actually have is not the same thing as the God you and I would design from the ground up. We call those kinds of gods idols. The true God, the living God, the real God that we have according to Scripture is a God who, without consulting us first, has created a beautiful, wild world with enough space in it for us to make decisions and have free will, and for angels and demons to have free will, and for Satan to have free will, and for things to happen that nobody wills. Now, this is not how we often talk in conversations about God and the world. The way we usually talk about God and God's control and power in the world, I think actually creates more problems than it solves. 
Because if we suggest to people, especially hurting people, that everything that happens in their life, in our life, in our world, is going according to God's will, then at some point you you or I are going to have to explain how God intended for us to sin. You and I are going to have to explain all kinds of things that, that Scripture doesn't really help us explain. One of the things we really struggle with is we bring concerns, we bring vocabulary to the story of Scripture that may or may not belong there. If we ask the Bible to tell us about God and how God interacts with us and in our world, the Bible is not going to lay down a blueprint. The Bible is going to share a story, a story like Job, a story like Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life and interaction with people. There is this space that we don't like to talk about of free will where we can make decisions. And there are times when God intervenes, but there are other times when it seems like God doesn't intervene. And brothers and sisters, it would be so much simpler if God would always do exactly what we want or never do exactly what we want. The fact of the matter is God sometimes does what we ask. Now who wants to admit that? But that's exactly what you've experienced in your your spiritual journey. The book of Job, I feel like as difficult as it is, and it refuses to give us the kinds of answers we have to all of these why questions when it comes to pain, it does tell us something that is very, very important. God is never on the side of undeserved pain. God is always in a war against it. A complicated, hard-to-understand war, but a war nonetheless. And Jesus, who is our very best picture of God, our most accessible insight into the heart of God, demonstrates this same posture towards pain. Jesus makes it abundantly clear when we look at his life and his ministry that he is, he is doing everything he can to rescue people from the pain that is destroying them. In, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes across this guy whose life is being destroyed by the pain of leprosy and the pain of the loneliness that leprosy caused in the ancient world. And Jesus looks at it, and he, he, his emotion, it's an interesting word. Uh, the, The best way to translate it would be an angry compassion. Have you ever felt an angry compassion when you look at what something is doing to somebody else's life? The kind of damage it's creating? Jesus is angry at the pain this guy's in. And on his ragged knees, he begs Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus reaches out to touch this guy who probably hasn't been touched in a long, long time and says, I am willing, be clean. I'm willing to take away your pain. Christian author Greg Boyd puts it this way. Now, that's just one example of many. When Jesus confronted the crippled, the deaf, blind, mute, diseased, or demon-possessed, he diagnosed their affliction as something God did not will. Not once does Jesus suggest that some people suffered because God was punishing them or teaching them a lesson to the contrary. Jesus consistently revealed God's will for people by healing them. Now, before we start to mentally argue with Boyd 
about that verse in John chapter 9 that it appears that Jesus might be saying that a man was born blind so that the glory of God might be revealed. You need to know that in the original Greek, there is no grammatical cause and effect between the man's blindness and the glory of God being revealed. Jesus simply says, this man was born blind, God's glory is going to be revealed. And it's obvious from reading the story in context that the glory is not revealed in the man's blindness. The glory of God's revealed in the man being healed from his blindness. I have to re-listen to that later. I moved quick. <laughs> My point is this, right? The, the book of Job and the ministry of Jesus, they help us understand at least this much about so much of the pain that's present in our lives. God is fighting against it and wants to heal us from it. It's just that at the same time, God, while unquestionably having the most power, isn't the only spiritual power at work in our lives. And God isn't according to scripture, directly controlling every single thing that happens in our world. There is no doubt that God has the power to control us and our lives like robots behind a hermetically sealed glass wall, but scripture reveals a God who has decided to not use his power to constantly and directly control us in every single event that happens to us or anyone else. And here's why that perhaps new or uncomfortable idea is so important for us to try to understand. So much of our mental and emotional and spiritual agony comes from our failed attempts to get answers to all of the why questions we have when it comes to our pain. So much of our sorrow and frustration comes from our attempts to to make sense out of things that just don't make sense. And so it's time, brothers and sisters, it's high time that we learned how to suffer in a different way, in a better way. While you and I don't always have a choice of when we experience pain, we do always have a choice of how we're going to experience that pain. We have the ability to decide how we suffer. We can suffer in despair or we can suffer in hope. It really is our choice. And it is the choice that can change everything about what the pain in our lives ends up doing to us. Because if you and I can choose to give up the need to figure out some hidden meaning behind our pain, we can move to a place where we give new purpose to our pain. Getting mad at God for pain coming into our lives, I think, is like getting mad at God for the sun coming up earlier than we want it to. Or getting mad at God because gravity helps us fall when we accidentally trip. Sunlight doesn't mean anything. Gravity doesn't mean anything. Sunlight and gravity do something. And though we can't control sunlight or gravity, we can harness them. We can partner with them. We can use them to do amazing things. And the same thing is true with our pain. It doesn't mean something as much as it has the power to do something. We can't control it, but we can harness it. We can partner with it. And together with God, we can use pain, yes, even pain, to do something amazing. We can choose to suffer in a way that makes us persevere, in a way that builds our character, in a way that gives us good reason to hope. In other words, you and I can choose to endure which leads us to this week's definition of the spiritual practice. Enduring is moving past the need to make our pain mean something logical so that we can start to make our pain do something useful. 
moving past the need to make our pain mean something logical so that we can make our pain do something useful. Enduring means that we have to stop obsessing over why we're hurting and we have to start focusing on how we're going to use that hurt to draw us closer to the only one who can actually make it stop hurting. It's not, brothers and sisters, that it hurts so good. It's more like even when we hurt, God can use it for good. God isn't the one who causes all of your pain. And God isn't the one who owes you some tidy explanation because of all your pain. God is the one who takes our pain and somehow manages to make something beautiful out of the broken pieces. And know this, brothers and sisters, the God who lovingly intervenes to make beauty out of brokenness is the God we have. A God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners, while everything was still falling apart. That's the kind of God we have. And this God, our God, is always worth trusting no matter what happens to us. I thought a long time about, okay, what does this look like? Try to come up with a story I could tell that would help illustrate what it means to endure. And then I remember David Varner. And so a couple of weeks ago, Stephen Corbett and I sat down with David and we had a conversation about what it looks like to suffer with hope. And we want to share that conversation with you now. How you doing? My name is David Varner. I'm a lifelong Abilene resident, married my high school sweetheart, Cindy Brabant at that time. We have two wonderful daughters, Jessica, who lives in the Houston area, Rachel, who her and her husband Brad live in Fort Worth. I've been a police officer since 1985, so I just finished 31 years of service. At the end of September in 2015, I was feeling pretty rough, like real bad. Go to the doctor, he sends us in for some scans, call, he says, can you and Cindy come to the office? I was feeling like it wasn't going to be good news, and it wasn't. We go back to his office, and he brings up the big C word we all dread. I had cancer. Since a big diagnosed with cancer, I've had two colon stents implanted. I've been on IV chemo for several months, and I've been on oral chemo. There's been days I've felt real rough. Hadn't felt like getting up, hadn't felt like going on. But we keep on, because I know the treatment's working, and I know there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. While I was in the hospital bed when I was first diagnosed with cancer, some friends come up to see us. Sue Bailey walks over to my bed, grabs my hand, grabs my hand and says, remember something. Says no matter what you're a winner. Said no matter what you're a winner. And so her and her husband leave a little bit later. Then Mark and Jana Hannah come up. Jana comes over and is talking to me, and uh, she grabs my hand and says David, and she says some stuff that her and Mark want to do for us. And I tell her I say Jana, I'm not a good moocher. We my brother and I weren't raised that way. And uh, Janet goes to honor your friends, you have to let them help you. And so then they leave. And I tell Cindy, my wife, and Gary, my brother, I go, y'all got to keep these godly people out of here. They're making this journey very difficult. 
with people offering all this and offering to help and talking to me all the time. When the decision was made to, to go to MD Anderson, a very good friend of mine, Jerry Johnson, came up to the hospital and he'd been there the day before, he and his wife JV. So Jerry comes up and we're discussing going to MD Anderson. He goes, how are you gonna get there? And I said, well, they talked about air ambulance, wheel ambulance, they're gonna discharge me and we're gonna drive. And Jerry goes, you're not driving. And I said, well, yeah, I am. And he goes, no. He goes, I'm flying you down there. We met that afternoon when they discharged me at five o'clock at Abilene Arrow. Jerry gets me to the plane, which I didn't know if I could really walk to the plane. We get on the plane. We leave Abilene Arrow a little bit before five. We land at Houston Hobby before six. When we're getting off the plane, the pilot comes over. He and Jerry are both pilots, and I hear the pilot tell Jerry, that's the smoothest flight I've ever been on. The medical team determines the attack plan on cancer for, for me. We come back to Abilene. I'm scheduled for chemo. One of my brother Gary's associates at the pipe yard, my brother runs pipe yard in Clyde, he comes up to my brother and tells Gary, he said, I had a relative that had cancer. And he said, I know chemo can affect different people different ways. And Gary goes, yes. And our dad had died of cancer when I was 17. And uh, this man tells Gary, he said, well, Gary, you know I've been on the other side of the law a time or two. This man's been on probation and parole and different things. And he said, when my relative was down there at MD Anderson and chemo was making him sick, they offered him marijuana. And Gary goes, yeah, I've heard of that. And this man who knows I'm a policeman, I've known, I know this man. He said, I want you to tell David something. He's on this chemo, if it starts bothering him, he said, you let me know. And he said, a bag of weed will appear on your desk. He said, no, I don't know where it'll come from and I probably won't have anything to do with it. But he said, that bag of weed will just show up. And so I thought, that shows how people can care about one another. He said, this man, knowing I'm a cop, knowing it's against the law to have weed, it's against the law to deliver it and everything else, but he just pretty much offered up his freedom to make me feel better. Now, I didn't take him up on this offer, but the, I know the offer's still good. When we were back home, numerous people stopped by, and I know I'll leave many of the names out, but one that's always stuck in my mind, and I tell when I tell my story, or God's story through me, is Tom South. Tom South stopped by numerous times, called numerous times. When Tom South would come by, he would say, I came by to talk to you, listen to you, and pray with you. Before he left, every time I saw him, he would come over, and I would be sitting in the chair, and I would start to stand up. Tom said, no, you sit down. And Tom would get on his knees and pray. When Tom would get down on his knees and pray, and, and we would hold hands, our hands didn't let go of one another, but it was like God got in the middle of our circle, if you will. God was there, and Tom was talking to God as a friend. When Tom South prays, he prayed with faith that it's going to get better and it's all going to be all right. And it inspires you to think no matter what's going on, it's going to be all right. I could be blind, deaf, and not hear, and I would feel, see, and hear God every day in my life through the numerous prayers that have been, through the hugs, the pats on the back, the offers of food, fellowship, and the, the numerous services that have been offered to, to my family and I, people wanting to do stuff for us. And when people pray for me every day, and these are people, some people I don't know come up and tell me they're praying for me. You can't feel sorry for yourself when you're being held up. And that's what I've been every day of this journey through prayer angels, if you will. As Sue Bailey told me, no matter what, you're a winner. I'm a winner, straight up. People ask me how cancer's affected me. And I tell them with 100% honesty, 
that cancer has been one of the biggest blessings I've ever had. I have a relationship with God now that I don't think I would have had had I not had cancer. My faith is stronger. Some of the things that were really important to me worldly now have no importance at all to me. Time with my family, time with my friends, that's more important now than it's ever been. The Bible and trying to do the right thing, that's always been important. But now it, it, it's a new meaning, if you will, of relationship and walking with God. And the relationship I have now with family and friends and seeing people, I see a godly side of people that I've never seen before because I'm on this side of the, of the C word, if you will. And so it's, it's changed me in ways I never imagined. I will say a couple years ago, if you ask what I was going to be doing right now, it w I wouldn't have mentioned cancer, I wouldn't have mentioned chemo, I wouldn't have mentioned, I wouldn't have mentioned going to Houston every two or three months. That wasn't in my plans. Not at all. I don't know what my plans were, but they, they didn't include this. So, plans are temporary. Uh, my plan is to wake up in the morning and see what God has in store for me. My plan for today is to feel, see, and hear God and hopefully show somebody else God through what I do or what I say or how I act or how I react to something. I control my reaction. I can't control what happens to me. So that's kind of how I take it right now. Can you join me in thanking David for sharing that conversation with us? Our hope doesn't come from having a God who controls us like robots and the events in our world like some kind of elaborate wind-up toy. Our hope comes from having a God who is right here with us in the midst of an unfair, unpredictable world who says to us, I'm here, I'm with you, I, I always have been and I always will be. Stop trying to figure out why all of this is happening and trust me. And one of the best ways we encounter that truth is through one another. Through people having the courage not to run away from the pain in our lives, but to join us in our pain. And not try to explain it, just be there. Pain is temporary. But because of God's love for you, you're not. You're, you're eternal. And when we trust, even when we're hurting, maybe especially when we're hurting, that things really will get better, if not in this world, then in the next, that kind of trust is what the Apostle Paul calls hope. And it is a holy hope indeed. And it is a hope that can carry us through and will one day carry us home. We have a couple of suggestions in this little notebooklet of, of ways that you can endure and it may not be that this week is the best week for this notebooklet in your life, but there's going to be a day that comes, a week that comes, a month that comes, where you or someone in your life are going to need this reminder. And so hope you keep it in a safe place and pray about it and ask God to help give you that strength when you need it the most. With God's help, we can and we will endure. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives are going to be standing in various places throughout this room. They're there to receive you, to pray with you, to walk beside you. And so if you'd like to visit with any one of our leadership couples, I'm going to ask them to stand real quickly so you can kind of see where they are.
Um, they want to help you. They want to be there for you. So go to them as together we stand and sing.